AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Well, a series of resolved issues, and we all take a deep sigh of relief as we crest the hump on some of those key issues. Russia made the deal. The House majority is set, and the markets are under pressure. Well, you can't win them all. We will turn our collective attention to the lanes I've most traveled, land, fertilizer, and energies. Live from Over the Hump Day via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a chat with pro-farmer veteran and landowner contributor Mike Walston. Then it's Josh Linville from Stonex, later Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group, and right after the news, Greg Henderson from Drovers. While Chip is away, your capable newsmen will play. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Your pal Davis Michelson here in for Chip, who will return gloriously tomorrow afternoon. We anxiously await Chip's return to talk to us about what he's been up to. It's all a big mystery, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to be great. Just wait till he's, wait till he gets back here. I'm sure he's going to be just busting with stuff to say. And, uh, you know, given the, uh, the, the height of my word count in his absence, I'll be more than happy to turn the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk back over to my good pal and comrade in broadcast, Chip Flory. Anywho, today, big day, big day. So lots to get to in the news before we do. Now, the market's under some pressure. We've got Brian Grady at the bottom of the hour to talk about it. I I have a suspicion as to why the markets are acting the way that they are. Corn lower, beans double digits lower. In fact, the whole bean complex is lower. Meal is off as well as soybean oil. The wheat futures down across, across the board. Uh, and as one might expect with lower corn, here we've got higher fat cattle, higher feeder cattle. Lean hogs are mixed which is sort of interesting. The December front month contract is off about 60 cents right now, 84.97 and a half. But your Feb and your April 23 contracts are up slightly. And then you've got another round, May, June, both lower. Cotton is under some pretty hefty pressure. Yeah, I didn't notice that till just now. Huh. And crude oil is lower. So uh, lots to get to today. We will be talking land, fertilizer, and energies in that order And I have some very specific questions for some very smart people. So you're going to want to stick around for the entire hour this morning. Glad you're here. Uh, Let's get to the news. The GOP has garnered the 218 seats needed to control the House, ushering in an era of divided government and a check on the Biden administration agenda. Most look for Biden to increase his use of executive orders and regulations to fulfill some other goals. Representative Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader from California, said this week on Capitol Hill, quote, the area, uh, the era of one party Democrat rule in Washington is over. Russia agreed to renew the deal, allowing grain and other exports to leave Ukraine through the war torn Black Sea. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez said that work was also being done to allow Russia to export food and fertilizer. I want to talk to both Josh Linville uh, of Stonex and Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group about this 
particular uh, little nugget here, Josh, of course, about Russian exports of fertilizer. But then I'm also very interested in Russian exports of crude oil and other energies. And Phil Flynn is the guy to talk to about exactly that. President Joe Biden recently signed a national security memorandum to strengthen the security and resilience of U.S. food and agriculture. Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, says the memorandum instructs government officials to identify threats to American food and ag and to respond appropriately. Cargill's CEO says he expects food prices to decline in 2023. David McClellan, that's Cargill's CEO, says the solution to the food versus fuel debate is to boost global crop commodity production, saying, quote, we don't think it's going to be an either-or dynamic. It can be food and fuel. McLennan also says regenerative ag practices, greater yields, and more use of technology can increase output so it can meet the demand from both food and fuel sectors. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says his agency is planning for additional emergency relief and pandemic assistance. USDA will soon roll out Phase 2 of the Emergency Relief Program, that's ERP, as well as the new Pandemic Assistance Revenue Program. Those programs will help offset crop and revenue losses for producers. USDA's Rural Let's see. You, oh, here we go. USDA's Rural Development Undersecretary faced numerous complaints by Ag State Senators about complicated grant applications, office staffing, and broadband application duplication at a farm bill hearing. Zochiel Torres Small defended her agency's handling of its many functions, calling most criticisms the result of having to balance costs and fairness, but she did agree to work with senators to make rural development grant applications simpler without favoring towns that can afford grant writers. She said this. The next thing that we need to do, and I think the Farm Bill is a great opportunity to do that, is to go through what are the statutory requirements that actually make an application harder. In doing that, we might also identify sometimes it's our fault. It's it's regulations that are making it harder. And, And maybe looking at thresholds, right? If it's under a certain amount, recognizing that we have to balance risk as a lender, maybe if it's under a certain cost, we can make certain applications easier. And finally, Jimmy Cheatham, otherwise known as Captain J-Rock on TikTok, highlights the struggles towboats are facing on the Mississippi River as water levels decline. Says 22 is much like 2012 and 1988. The supplies there, there's a number of barges right now. It's loaded, waiting to transit north, with loads of fertilizer. The thing is, the bigger boats, they can't bring up the big tows, so it's adding extra time to get those loads up here. The number of barges in place, they're getting hung up. Like a lot of times when barges are getting offloaded in the Gulf to be reloaded, we bring empties and loads back up and we're having trouble getting those empties back up as well with their fertilizer. So it's kind of a double-edged sword for us. All right. And with that, let's bring in Greg Henderson from Drovers. Greg, good morning. Um, this beef market kind of continues to throw curveballs at us. Uh, tough to get a handle on the outlook. But we've talked a lot about the tightening supply of cattle when we're talking about the cycles and uh, subsequent price collapses in history. Carcass weights really stick out to me. Absolutely, Davis. Good morning. Uh, We always look at uh, what happened in the last cycle for clues to what we're maybe facing. And, you know, we've said last week's price at 152 was the highest since uh, 2015. So the price 
high of the last cycle was a record price in 2014 of 171 davis and while we're looking forward to prices uh increasing because of tighter supplies we also have to recognize that uh, the last cycle we increased carcass weights precipitously in an effort to make up for some of the fact that we don't didn't have as many cattle so right now uh davis usda revised beef production up for 2022 but off as much as 13 i'm sorry as much as seven percent for mm. next year and that would be uh, uh an indication that they see fewer cattle um carcass weights however uh already are 18 pounds higher now than they were at the same point in the cycle 10 years ago so we're already building that that uh, heavier carcass weight and and should be going higher uh, throughout this fall. Well, let's hope that 7% decline in beef production next year projected by USDA is an overshoot to the downside. Greg Henderson from Drovers, appreciate you, buddy. Have a good day. Thank you. We'll be right back with more AgriTalk. I've got Mike Walston. We're going to talk about $30,000 per acre land. That's from a sale in Sioux County, Iowa. Stick around for that conversation next on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everybody. I am super psyched about this segment. Um, as many of you know, my day job is uh, as the editor of Landowner for Pro Farmer, but... Uh, the, the way I got the gig is Mike Walston, who had been a longtime pro farmer dude since way back in the day, um, had stepped down and retired. But uh, there's a land sale here that I I just got to talk to him about. He continues to contribute very graciously and very he's just a wealth of knowledge. We just couldn't let him go. So you'll see his writing in Landowner every single month. Um, let me just bring him in. Mike Walston, uh, for, former Pro farmer guy, gosh, I hate to I hate to make it sound like that, Mike. Welcome to AgriTalk, buddy. It's great to talk to you. Oh, it's great to be back and great to be talking to you. Uh, but I I am a little bit on the older side, you know. That's just the way it is. <laughs> well, that you know, it beats the alternative. Am I right? That's, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how's retirement going? How uh, it's it's been a, a few years now. Um, how, well, 
it's, Are you liking it's it? going well and and the primary occupation is grandchildren uh-huh uh-huh that's good that'll that'll uh that'll take up your time and energy keep you help keep you in shape absolutely well and let me just say publicly once again how much I appreciate your contributions to the landowner and uh, the the knowledge that you bring is just a, an absolute asset to our subscribers and to our to my personal knowledge base. So I uh, I really appreciate you. And on that note, um, well, thank you, Davis. I, I appreciate. I have fun doing it. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. Uh, really glad to hear that. Uh, the, the reason I wanted to talk to you is this $30,000 per acre land sale in Sioux County, Iowa. Um, we could say to some degree this is aberrational, uh, a, new, a new record, but if I'm looking sort of down the list that I'm compiling for this month's landowner of eye-popping land sales, I've got another one in Richardson County, Nebraska at $27,400 per yes. acre. Um, yes, yes. I'm I'm just curious. You've been in the land. You've been watching the land biz for a really long time. Um, did you ever think you'd see the day with a thirty thousand dollar print per acre? Oh no, uh, I I did not. I, well, uh, the the way I looked at it was it it was it was uh, somewhere off in the future. Uh, <laughs> my you know past past maybe my lifetime because when we were at fifteen thousand, I thought it would take take uh you know a decade or two to get get things doubled again but uh uh the, the things have certainly changed in a very dynamic way uh in terms of the amount of cash that uh, has flowed into farmers hands uh the the price levels that we saw for corn soybeans and and other commodities uh the very low interest rates that were in place now the interest rate structure is changing but uh, we have uh, farmers that are in uh, uh, strong cash positions, and uh, especially in, in uh, uh, Sioux County, Iowa, and over there in Nebraska, there may be livestock involved, and that puts pressure on operations that uh, uh, want to have more control over their corn, especially in Sioux County. Uh, used to be Northwest Iowa was an area that had excess corn. Uh, now they have to fight with the ethanol producers. So they want to have more control on their input cost and a place to put put uh, manure as well. And uh, then there's just a cultural issue up there that uh, uh, the farmers want to put put money in dirt. And uh, if it's the dirt land right next door, and that was the case here in, in that 73 acres uh, up there near Hospers, uh, the, the field was in half mile rows. CSR2 was 96.6. The highest you can go is 100. This is a state rating that Iowa has. Uh, other states have use other um, marking, uh, other indexes, but in Iowa, it's CSR2 with a maximum of 100. So you're sitting at 96.6, uh, 73 acres just over the fence. Uh, neighbors are going to go for it if they're uh, in position to, to write the check and still keep their balance sheets uh, at, at a uh, level that they can manage. Uh, because we know lower prices are ahead. We know higher interest rates are ahead. They're good operators up there. They know how to make this thing work as they spread those uh, those $30,000 acres uh, over the entire operation. You bet. And uh, and according to Iowa Appraisal, which handled the sale, the buyer was a local farmer with the runner-up bidder, also reportedly a local farmer. Um, but let's... I also want to talk to you about a, a tweet that we got from Steve 
who says, quote, just saw 240 acres in Iowa with a, with a 70 CSR2, no sale with no bids at 8,500. Here's the part I want to get to. Um, and I know that you can speak with authority on this matter. He, he ends his tweet saying, I wonder if the 80s are back. Now, a single sale does not a market make, of course. How does the present uh, land market differ from that of the, uh, the disastrous 80s? It's the level of leverage that uh, agriculture in general has. Now, individual operators may be having some trouble, and uh, the Federal Reserve Banks out of Chicago and and Kansas City uh, were showing that they had a few loans, but not many that were uh, kind of of a concern. But uh, generally, since the 80s, uh, lenders and farmers, there's a lot of institutional memory, uh, have kept the uh, those lessons intact and it kept uh, equity requirements extremely high and that gives a cushion uh, going forward when we do have the back off in commodity prices which we're already seeing and we also have the back off in prices now we we had a pretty strong run up uh, or you know earlier in this decade uh, and then the commodity prices went down we backed off for three years but it was a basically a normal correction not quite 20 percent I think we're positioned that uh, we can have a normal correction again, 20% generally, but we're not going to be put in a position where uh, where land has to be where land has to be liquidated and put on the marketplace. Look at Wisconsin, where dairies have have had a terrible time. Uh, the dairies have sold out; they sold their operations, but the farmers kept their land. They were financed differently this time; they didn't leverage everything. And uh, the farmers there still own the, still own their land. Uh, will be able to have that annuity through their cash rentals, um, but they were better positioned this time. They didn't have to when they got into trouble. They didn't have to sell everything uh, to meet their bank operation uh, obligations. Mm-hmm. Let's let's kind of stick with with land values. Let's go back to this just a little bit because I know that over your career you've seen cycles. I don't know. You and I have never really talked if if there is a notable land cycle o- over the course of a predictable uh, time period. It feels like with this with this sale, we're still on the upswing. Wh- yeah. What can you tell us about cycles and and when well, this cycle might flip? Where the the cycles are, uh, the big cycle is is a is a fifty year cycle. And uh, that one, we hit the peak on that uh, back in 2007, eight, and nine. Uh, so we're 50 years out before we, we come back to that one. Wow. Uh, and e- even then, I'm not so sure that it's going to be as pronounced um, because of the learning curve that we had in the 30s and uh, learned about what excess of uh, leverage will do. So I, I'm kind of hitting an old an in, in old uh, uh, statement here saying that we're much better positioned, uh, agriculture as a whole, much better positioned uh, ag lenders as a whole uh, to uh, work through setbacks in commodity prices and setbacks in interest rates. Coming out of the 80s, uh, we, we, went from in, we went from adjustable, we had adjustable loans for one thing, and interest rates went from uh, the, went from nine percent to twenty two percent. So you had adjustable loans that just uh, did everybody in. Now we do not have adjustable loans. A lot of this land has been financed for four percent, 
with a lot of equity in there. It's a it's a lot different economics and and one that that we can manage our way through. There will be setbacks. There will be write downs in some uh, that you know the balance sheets for some of the value of farmland, but not the extensive uh, destruction that we saw in the eighties. Mike, I, I got to wonder, um, you know, I hate to take you away from the grandkids any more than I have to. <laughs> um, and so I'm wondering what the appropriate time frame might be here, because I was going to say, well, you know what, we'll have you back on when uh, Iowa land hits 35,000, but we may need to push that up to 40,000 just to give you some time to, to catch yeah. your breath in, in the meantime. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> the grandkids uh, may have their own grandkids by that time. We just don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Mike, again, uh, a thousand thank yous for taking some time with us this morning and for sharing your expertise and uh, the long-term knowledge that you've, you've gathered over a, over a great career. Appreciate you, buddy. Have a great day. We'll talk again soon. All right. You thank you. Appreciate it, Davis. Thank you. That was uh, Mike Walston talking about that $30,000 land sale in Sioux County, Iowa. And, of course, you know, a variety of factors go into to a sale like that. Will we be able to to support prices like that and, and see these land prices increase? Well, we'll keep you informed. Stick around for more AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. And Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady joins us this morning. Brian, some pressure on the grains. Yeah, Davis. Uh, so the the Ukrainian uh, Black Sea grain export deal got extended, uh, and that's the the source of pressure this morning. Uh, you know, heavy pressure, double digit losses in the wheat market. Uh, corn, it's trading around six seven cents lower here at mid morning. Although that's mid range for the day. Uh, weekly export sales for corn almost one point two million tons, and and so that's helped uh, pull corn futures off of their earlier lows. Uh, soybeans, we had over three million tons of, of soybean. Sales for the week, uh, but yet soybean futures are trading low range here uh, mid morning, so not having much of an influence there. That that was the biggest in, in uh, like 26 months uh, for the soybean sales, non non rollover uh, weeks. That is. Well, and can you we just talk briefly about that demand push we've seen? A lot of daily sales coming down the pike. Yeah, absolutely, and and we knew the number was going to be big on soybeans uh, and. and to a lesser degree corn but uh because of those daily sales but uh yet uh um you know 
the market just hasn't reacted and, and uh, you know, we need a big push. Soybeans, uh, the export demand is fine. Uh, corn, it's not fine and, and wheat is not fine either. So uh, both those markets need a bigger push. Cattle complex responding to that lower corn? Uh, yeah, so we're seeing strong gains across the feeder cattle market uh, because of the weakness in the corn market. Um, live cattle, they're up in reaction to the uh, the expectations that we'll see firmer cash cattle trade. The the initial numbers have been steady to firmer, so uh, as trade turns more active, we'll, we should see uh, um, an extension of those uh, recent gains in the cash market. Hog right. futures are narrowly mixed and, and not showing a lot of action here. That's Brian Grady. Stick around for Josh Linville from Stonex. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. If the world is your oyster, we've got pearls of wisdom on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. So glad you are along for this morning's program. Your pal Davis Michelson here behind the big green leafy microphone of AgriTalk. Let me bring in uh, Josh Linville from Stonex. Josh, we appreciate you checking in with us. Lots to talk about. How's it going today? I'll tell you what, it's uh, as it has been for a while now. It's a mile a minute, but we're just doing what we can to stay ahead of it. Right? Yeah. Um, well, let's let's start here. Russia-Ukraine export deal extended. A big sigh of relief, at least for the next 120 days. Your thoughts? Yeah, any of these types of deals, it's always great to see them come to some sort of a conclusion, some sort of an agreement, but I I don't know how much I trust it. it. It's one of those things that some of those parties have not been the most reliable. We'll wait and see. Uh, I guess remain hopeful, but unfortunately, hope is never really a good strategy. Indeed, indeed. Well said. Um, in, the, in the bylines, along with the announcement that a deal had been agreed to for 120 days to extend that export deal, the U.N. was quick to say that they're willing to encourage Russian exports of fertilizers and grains. I'd like to talk about that just a little bit. What Specifically, what fertilizer products would we be talking about? Do we know? I mean, maybe we'll just speculate. But what products are we talking about and to what destinations might some of that fertilizer flow? Yeah, so when we look at Ukraine specifically, they're not a major fertilizer exporter. They're more of an importer. But when we start looking at Russia, that's one of their big things. They're an energy exporter. Fertilizer is definitely one of those. Uh, They are one of the bigger phosphate exporters. They are a major nitrogen exporter. They're one of the top three potash exporters. So continuing to keep those flows going out helps continue to hold the S&D for the globe balanced. Um, Now, as far as where it goes, Typically, it would go all over the world. Now, with this conflict and everything going on, those trade patterns have changed a little bit. And a lot of people have looked at that and said, oh, the prices have to go up. Not necessarily. If their flows are continuing to leave Russia and get out to the world, the global S&D doesn't change. Now, maybe some trade flows are a little uh, inefficient as they start playing politics, you know, shipping more to India and Brazil and countries like that. But the fact that their tons are even getting into the world helps to keep that thing from getting out of hand. Well, as the, so as the the general global supply increases, it's, it's basically good for everybody. Is that what you're saying? It is, because it, whether it comes directly to us or it goes to another outfit or something like that, it helps build the global supply. Global mm-hmm. supply has grown, demand doesn't change, prices in theory drop. And I guess I'm a little confused specifically on the Russian fertilizer exports because as I – 
I've heard from sources that no, those aren't sanctioned. Those are fine. And now I've got the I've got the UN General Secretary saying, well, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that Russian fertilizer exports hit the water. I I don't understand. It feels like mixed messages. Have there been sanctions on Russian fertilizer exports? Why why would they even mention it? So the only one that put sanctions on Russia fertilizer exports was actually Canada, of all places. Um, a lot of countries, ourselves included, talked about it, but we always fell short. The politicians would get up on the soapbox and we're going to do this, we're going to sanction that, and they'd you know, get the roaring applause and pats on the back as they're walking away. But then somebody would grab them and say, yeah, but here's the thing. We really need that fertilizer uh, or else we can't feed our people. And so people shied away from actually including things like fertilizer on their sanctions. Uh, I think the UN is trying to keep anybody from taking it further. You know, we had a couple missiles that fell in Poland mm-hmm. and they don't want the world to sit there and say, fine, round whatever sanctions, now we're going to include fertilizer because at the end of the day, we need, the world needs those flows. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, let's, let's talk a little India urea. Looks like their most recent tender was, I would call it significantly below the prior one. Uh, when we're talking global nitrogen prices, does that put a weight on uh, on the overall price for everyone? It, it does. India looked to buy about 1 million tons of urea, and from the sounds of it, they're going to get that, and maybe even a little bit more if they're interested. The thing I'm actually watching now is there was enough participation, and sounds like continued participation, we could see them decide, you know what, we said we were going to buy a million ton. We're going to back that off to half a million ton, and we'll just retender again in December and see if we can get the price even lower. Uh, the lowest prices they saw West Coast, East Coast India was probably about $75 a ton cheaper than the last round. And that last round was not that long ago. So definitely some uh, some weakness on global price patterns out there. We don't, when we look at it, Q1, you see a lot of world demand starting to step back in. Uh, we think that will start to support it. So I think there's a little bit of a short-term deal. But hey, it's fertilizer. Who the heck knows? Right, right. Uh, do, do you favor another step lower in the in the India urea benchmark price? I do. Uh, we know that obviously like this round is another 50, 75 lower than last time. Uh, it would be from a logistical standpoint, it would be in their best interest to reduce it and try and get even lower on this next one. Whether they do that or not, when it comes to India, they're more concerned with supply than what they are with price. So we'll wait and see. But right now, there's not a whole lot of demand that looks like it's remaining through the rest of this calendar year. That could help keep uh, kind of a foot on this price idea for at least the short term, next four to six weeks. Because that discretion is up to the seller, correct? Absolutely. When mm-hmm. India comes in, they set the lowest price each coast, west coast, east coast. And then every offer has to sell at that lowest price to participate in it. And that's generally one of the things we have to wait and see, how many people are willing to sell at that lowest price. A lot of the early indications is that nobody who offered is backing off their idea of wanting to sell. They're willing to drop that price to get in there. Sticking with the uh, global supply concept here, uh, European ammonia production has kind of fallen off of my radar. Can you give us an update on the status in Europe? Yep. Uh, So, again, this goes back to the whole Russia conflict. Uh, Russia ended up completely shutting off natural gas flows into Europe, and that helped their price. Uh, We watched the Dutch TTF. Historically, that thing has been in the single digits, you know, 4 or 5 $6 in MMBTU. With Russia shutting off their gas shipments, that price got all the way up to $100, a little bit over $100. And the result was their their nitrogen production went from 100% down to 15 30%, depending on who you were talking to. And there was no way their production was ever going to turn back on anytime nearby. Well, 
markets always prove us wrong. Uh, natural gas price went from a little bit over $100 in MNBTU to now sitting in the lower to mid-30s. And we're starting to see production turn back on. It's not quite 100%, but we're seeing it jump back up to like 50 60% uh, theorized anyway. So, yeah, that's actually been one of the things that's helping to keep a, uh, a lid on this price, helping to push price ideas lower as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, here at home, can we talk a little bit about fall applica- applications, fall demand? I know there are some areas the the fall application season has now been shut off by the onset of winter. Do you have a, a sense for how vigorous those applications may have been? It, from We're hearing from a, several people up in the northern plains that the anhydrous run was pretty good. I'm not getting a great sense that phosphate potash demand was that great. Um, I think farmers were looking at the price of it and saying this is still historically high. I'm going to reduce my application rates. I'm going to drag my feet. Maybe I put it on the spring. The fall demand does not look like it's been that fantastic, and we're starting to see that in the Gulf of Mexico. Both the price of phosphate and potash have continued to fall like they have since late March, early April. Uh, now, there needs to be a discussion about if we didn't put anything on in the fall, does that mean we're going to turn around and have a major, huge spring run? Uh, are logistics going to be an issue? There are things we need to watch going forward, but as of right now, Fall demand from our sense, it's still early. We're still mid-November. Uh, this The whole weather thing could turn around and give us a chance to get running again. But as of right now, if we had to draw a line in the sand, we'd say it's probably on the disappointing side. I've seen it said there's there's been an adjustment. First, it was, well, 21 is going to be pretty good for farmers, but boy, look out for 22. Then it was 22 is going to be pretty good for farmers. Look out for 23. And now I'm seeing things of 2024 is the new 2023 <laughs> as far as profitability and affordability go uh, with with the red flags? Are are you in that camp? What do you what are you thinking? I'm not. Uh, when I look at it, there's a lot of grains whose stock to use are still very very low, especially when we look at it from a historical standpoint. So I think as long as that stock to use thing stays as low as it is, I, I think that we continue to see prices hold. Is that guaranteed? Of course not. Uh, but I do think the opportunities are going to be there. I think everybody's looking at it from just a very generic point of view, and they're just saying, oh, everybody just steps in at once and you know buy all their inputs, sell their outputs all at one time, and they're done. I think we can offset that. Uh, they may be sitting there saying maybe the opportunities aren't as great. Maybe they aren't as prevalent as what they were in 22 and 23. But I think if we continue to watch this thing closely daily and we look at it from the perspective of you know if we buy an input, we sell an output, the opportunities are there. They may not last for weeks. They may not be nearly as profitable as what they've been, but there are always opportunities lying in the weeds. We just have to look for them. It feels like there may be hints in the marketplace we might be over the hump, over the worst of it. I, From a phosphate potash standpoint, I I would sort of agree with that. I, I you know, As we continue to see China ramping up some exports where we thought they were going to be next to zero, that's helpful. Russia exports have continued. That is helpful. Um, and, of course, our demand for phosphate and potash is a little bit more, uh, you know, it can move around a little bit based on where the price is. So yeah. I think those two markets will figure themselves out. It won't get too out of hand. But nitrogen, unfortunately, when we look at that, when I continue to look at our expected production through 25 and our yep. global demand through 25, that situation gets worse. I, unfortunately, nitrogen, I feel like it's going to stay high priced. Uh, it's going to stay volatile small events around the world that hurt supply are going to have major impacts on price ideas. Okay. All right. So, well, perhaps some improvements in profitability on the basis of what's happening in the grains. That would really be great. Um, 
Josh Linville from Stonex, I sure appreciate you uh, checking in with us with your expertise and for taking a trip around the world with us. Be well, my friend. We'll uh, we'll check in with you again real soon. All right, pal. All right, bud. Have a good Thanksgiving next week. You bet. You too. Uh, Josh Linville from Stonex. Uh, gosh, I don't know. I I almost kind of like the sound of all of that. Maybe we'll be okay after all, everybody. That would be great. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk energies with Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group. I may just run some of the same questions by Phil Flynn on the energy side and see what he's got to say. I, w- I do want to talk refining capacity. I want to talk what Saudi Arabia up to and, of course, a little bit of Russia right here on AgriTalk. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineRepeat.com. Tick-tock, tick-tock, no time to waste on AgriTalk. Your pal Davis Michelson here before we get to Phil Flynn. Let's sneak in today's Yields in the Fields. Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Microessentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. Beloved listener, if you were tuned in yesterday, Wednesday morning for our Farmer Forum, we did yields in the fields from northeastern Iowa where they had almost too much rain. Let's go to central Iowa, Jasper County, where a farmer writes, quote, our corn averaged 220 to 225 bushels per acre and soybeans 60 to 65 boo per acre. Pretty pleased given how dry it was for much of the summer. Yields in the Fields is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic. All righty. Uh, Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group. Mr. Flynn, thank you for joining us on AgriTalk this morning, sir. Great to be here. Great to be here on a day that uh, looks a little scary. A little scary. Ooh, it elucidate does. that. It does. Give me I more. Know. I mean, I'm looking at uh, the grain markets, which are lower. I'm looking at the dollar, which is higher. Uh, And I'm looking at the oil prices, which are plummeting. And really, if you look at the oil, you look at inventories, um, you know, we're seeing supplies, the tightest level we've seen in a generation. Um, Heating oil supplies, the tightest in 70 years, but the market is going down. And so when I see that, it says to me that the market is anticipating a real you know, dramatic drop uh, in the economy. So this is kind of scary, this market action, you know, could be because we're getting closer to the holiday and, you know, volumes lightening up. But I'm a little worried that the market is concerned that 
you know, Federal Reserve action could drive us into a deep recession and the market's already pricing that in. Wow. Dude, I was I was feeling all warm and fuzzy until just now. <laughs> I hate to ruin your day. I know. I'm telling no, you, no. I don't want I don't like to bring you up. I mean, you know, I was I was kind of telling my clients today, I go, it's a good thing supplies are at a 70 year low because if not, oil would be back to negative fifty dollars again. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, so I don't, you know, when you get this kind of market action, um, you know, when it kind of defies, you know, the actual supply and demand numbers that you look at and prices mm -hmm. collapse, it mm -hmm. shows you that the market is running on fear. Sometimes that fear is a justified, it's yeah. a canary in the coal mine, uh, uh, which we hope it isn't this time, or, or maybe it is the market just overreacting to, you know, the possibility of a higher interest rate environment in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well said. No, I... We appreciate the truth. Our listeners demand the truth. So I, I appreciate you delivering the uh, the somewhat bitter pill. I want to talk about refining capacity. Um, sure. I saw Janet Yellen, I think it was on CBS, talking about refining capacity. Is And here's my question. Is building more refining capacity sort of seeding a loss to fossil fuels on the part of, of the uh, greener fuels electric vehicle sort of movement? I mean, they... If they build refineries now, how are they going to how are they going to you know limit the use of fossil fuels? You're right. It's 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 a conundrum, and and yeah. it's amazing where we look at you know uh, the Biden administration saying no new drilling, you know no new fossil yeah. fuels. Let's put in regulations on methane that will reduce you know, maybe oil production by one to two million barrels a day. And then when the price of oil goes up, they start blaming the oil companies, saying, "Well, why aren't you producing more?" And they can say, well, we're not producing more because you're telling us not to. You know, you're telling people don't invest in, in oil and gas or refineries because we want to shut you down. Uh, uh, so it's, you know, you see this in a lot of government actions. They take actions that are going to drive up prices. And then when the prices go up, they blame the people for their policies. And, and we're seeing that. Uh, we're seeing it from the Biden administration. You know, uh, I, you know, President Biden finds somebody else to blame every time prices go, go, go up. And then, of course, he's, he's the first person to take credit when they go down. And uh, right now, of course, he's, you know, he blamed OPEC. I thought it was kind of funny. The G20, right? They met. We've got war, mm -hmm. you know, between Ukraine and Russia. The economy is 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 in big trouble, and they all boldly made a statement that the economy is bad because of the war in Ukraine. In other words, don't blame us. You right. know, it's not right. our fault. The economy is going to be really bad, but it's not our fault. It's all Vladimir Putin's fault. You've got twenty nations that went along with that. I, I think it's almost comical. Mm. Well, and with Republicans taking a narrow margin in the House now, he he may have the uh, the Republican House as a whipping boy. Do you believe we'll see energy policy moderate in any way with a mixed Congress? You know, usually not a lot gets done, but I do think there's going to be a lot of blowback from some of the uh, the aggressive policies that have been put through. I think they're going to be able to block. Uh, some of these these regulations and definitely block some of the spending that they're going to try to jam through on green energy projects. You know, what bothers me, you know, you have people in this country struggling. You've got people behind on their heating oil bills. And this administration is sending billions of dollars to other countries uh, to, to promote green energy sources. You know, and, and and while that might seem noble, I you know, at the end of the day, I think we ought to focus on, you know, 
people at home here and make sure they can stay warm this winter, you know, before we break these massive checks overseas. You know, I see a bunch of homeless people here that aren't going to be warm, but we're sending billions of dollars to to knock down, you know, uh, coal plants in other countries. I mean, to me, I think our priorities really are out of whack when it comes to energy policy. Well, and especially when you consider I'd, China's not going to join the green crowd at all. They're not. No, and neither is India. I think India's proven that over the last few months. Um, and and but, you know, and you've got other countries, you know, like uh, uh, that have their hand out, saying, "Well, you know, you rich countries should pay for us uh, to not pollute." And you know, um, well, I, I can see their point, but really, I mean, the reason why they need the handout is so they can pollute more. Phil Flynn, it's it's been an abbreviated conversation, but. You packed an awful lot in there. I do appreciate you being a resource for us on these energy markets. Um, thanks for checking in, and uh, we'll we'll check in with you again real soon, Phil. I appreciate you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group. Man, we covered a lot today. Land with Mike Walston. We had uh, Josh Linville from Stonex, and, of course, Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group. This afternoon... We're going to talk with Chris Barron of AgView Solutions, not only a really smart guy with a lot of cool spreadsheets, but also a farmer. We'll get Chris Barron's take on what to expect. And, of course, tomorrow morning we've got the Friday for Reef-A-Raw. It'll be your pal Davis Michelson at the helm.